0: Feel Good Hemp is the first and only brand to offer high-quality CBD oil products alongside a free platform that offers proven self-help and self-healing techniques, all to help you feel good naturally. Feel Good Hemp was started by Noah and his wife, Danielle, after they used hemp oil and other techniques to save Noah's father from a terminal cancer diagnosis. Now, I heard this story firsthand when I interviewed Noah. It's a real good one, and it's probably the most heartfelt and compelling story I've ever heard about why someone started a CBD company. So Feel Good Hemp is more than just a great place to buy CBD products. It's actually a community of like-minded souls committed to feeling good and doing good. So use coupon code GENIUS33 at checkout to save a third or 33% site-wide on your first purchase. Visit feelgoodhemp.org to shop now and access their free empowerment platform.
2: now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Dr. Thomas Barrow. He's the co-founder and chief medical officer at World Back to Work. We're going to talk about some medical laser technology and tattoo removal. Dr. Thomas Barrow is a recognized expert in the world of medical laser technology, and we're going to get into his story. So, Tom, thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. If you would, just tell the listeners a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today.
3: Okay, sure. Well, you know, I didn't take a straight path in life, that's for sure. I started out life wanting to be a professional classical musician so got a degree in the french horn and and then realized that it was very difficult to get a job doing that but one of the french hornists in the chicago symphony i think was a science teacher before he landed the gig of a lifetime and i thought well that seems kind of cool maybe i should have a, a second degree in something else. So I ended up in college taking a class in archaeology, another one in economics, Japanese literature, I mean, you name it, I took it. I had way too many credits when I finally graduated, but I just kept exploring, trying to find something that might be as interesting to me as music. And I stumbled into a genetics class for non-science majors. And it was so fascinating to me that I decided I wanted a degree in genetics, so I ended up getting a double major in French horn performance and genetics. And at the time, my girlfriend, who was from Iran, was a double major in violin and biochemistry, and she was pre-med. So she took me by the hand and dragged me into some Pre-med society meetings, and I thought that was pretty interesting. And then before you knew it, I wasn't uh, heading into genetics; I was heading into medicine. So mm. once I got into medicine, explored a lot of things, and, and as usual, I liked so many things it was hard for me to narrow it down. And so I ultimately decided to do emergency medicine, so I could kind of do a, a little bit of everything. And emergency medicine fit my personality because at the time I was on a skydiving team and making hundreds of skydives. And uh, I just, you know, couldn't pontificate, you know, walking slowly through the hospital. I needed the go, go, go adrenaline of gunshot wounds and CPR and all that sort of stuff. So somehow I meandered from the French horn into the emergency department. And then I did that for about, I don't know, 10 years or so. And then uh, a childhood friend had a really interesting backstory and and he caught my interest. So my childhood friend and next door neighbor growing up also took a a non-traditional path in life. And he had moved to French Polynesia, and there he got interested in traditional Polynesian tattooing techniques. And then he ended up marrying a a Tahitian descendant of royalty. And anyway, when he came back to the United States with his wife, uh, he had thought about starting up not just a tattoo clinic, but also a a tattoo removal business, which seemed like it was a, a joke, something out of a Far Side cartoon, you know, like tattoo on, tattoo off. Right, and yeah. he approached, Yeah, he approached me and he said, hey, this is a really interesting thing because we sort of thought tattoos were a fad, and but they're not. They're not going away and they've been around for so long, I think people are starting to see the evolution of the artwork. And if we could maybe clean up some tattoos that aren't so good, we could put better ones on. And that was his pitch to me. And so about 15 or more years ago, he asked me to join him in that project. And I thought that was interesting because, you know, lasers. Who doesn't want to know about lasers? So as a kid, that was always something fascinating to me. Ever since Star Wars, I wanted to do something with lasers. And so that's just sort of how I ended up in spite of all the other earlier plans in life.
2: Yeah, very interesting. What's the focus of your company today?
3: Well, I have a a couple of companies I'm, I'm working with. But in the laser universe, we started out with just this little small shop where we put a laser in the back room and focused on just improving upon tattoos and facilitating cover-ups. And it occurred to us if we put a sign in the window, maybe people would come inside. And that worked really well. And then we thought maybe if we advertised online, more people would show up. And before you knew it, we had a business that had grown to seven locations in the United States and in Canada. And then about a year or so ago, maybe two years ago, a group from Australia showed up, called themselves Removery, and they started consolidating the U.S. market, actually also in Canada. So they acquired several of our stores and were introduced to me through a number of the other players in the space. And they invited me to come on to their medical advisory board since I've been doing laser work for over 15 years now. So Removery is a company I'm now working with in the laser market, and I believe they've grown to 85 locations. So they just eclipsed you know, what my business partner and I were doing. And so now I'm, I'm part of that larger company. And my other company that I'm quite proud of, I'm the chief medical officer of World Back to Work. And we incorporated March of 2020 to try to make sense of what to do with the COVID problem. So the, the government was coming out with recommendations, but businesses were sort of at a loss how to implement those. So my business partner in that space, David Shore and I, uh decided that we wanted to help make sense of it so my other company is uh, working on covid compliance and testing and, and strategies to mitigate risk for companies as they try to make sense of the complicated rules which is covid in america
2: yeah should we focus on the world back to work or the tattoo removal what's your preference
3: Well, I'd love to tell you about all the time I spend living and working with the Lakota Sioux in South Dakota. I'm also the medical director of the Rosebud Emergency Department uh, for the Indian Health Service, where I deal the the frontline COVID response. But I think a really interesting story is lasers. Maybe we should focus on lasers because I have an awful lot of experience in that, and it's a fun topic.
2: We'll focus focus in like a laser on them. In the world of lasers, what's interesting to you about how tattoos go on and how they come off with lasers. Like, what's you know, scientifically what happens to cause tattoos to be removed?
3: Well, you know, it's interesting how much I've learned in that space because I, I thought it sort of made sense, and and the more I learned about it, the more I realized there was a lot of confusion that I and other people had with regards to tattooing. So I think before you you jump ahead and say how do you get rid of a tattoo, uh, you have to ask the question how do you get a tattoo in the first place, and uh, interestingly enough. If our immune system really was 100% efficient, nobody would have a tattoo. You'd put foreign material under the skin and white blood cells, macrophages would show up, gobble all up and, and get rid of it. And you would clear the tattoo immediately. There would be no tattoos. But fortunately for a tattoo enthusiasts, that's not how it works. When you put tattoo ink into the skin what ultimately happens is some of it washes away some of it gets gobbled up by white blood cells that carry it away to the lymph nodes and dispose of it but a lot of it just sort of gets stuck in place and for a long time they didn't know was it just sort of sitting there outside of the cells is it inside the cells where where does this tattoo ink end up exactly and it turns out most of the tattoo ink that sits in place you know for years if not for your entire life is inside cells and once it is entrapped in those cells it's sort of there to stay eventually cells get old and they die and turn over but there's new cells just to keep taking up that tattoo ink and so i always thought that tattoos fade over time because you know eventually the ink just sort of wears away or you know the The immune system gradually gobbles it up. But I learned something really interesting and bizarre. When I was working as an emergency room doctor in Dallas, Texas, there was some sociopath lunatic that was running around throwing gasoline on people and lighting them on fire for no good reason other than he was a sociopath. And and I got a number of these burn patients came into our hospital for treatment. And some of them had pretty severe burns, really. half their back was burned. And a fella came in and he had a, a Jaguar tattooed across his back. And the part of his tattoo that wasn't burned uh, kind of looked like what you expect to see with old tattoos, right? So instead of black ink, you know, for the Jaguar, it's sort of Fades into this green gray color and the lines aren't all that distinct. So it sort of looks like maybe that tattoo was fading or the ink was going away. But interestingly enough, where there was a second degree burn, where all the epithelium was just burned away and you were looking at raw pink dermis the tattoo looked beautiful. It didn't look like a 10 or 20 year old tattoo. It looked like a tattoo that had applied yesterday. The black ink wasn't green. It was jet anthracite black. The eye of the jaguar was a brilliant blue. The claws on the front of the, the jaguar over the burn site were sharp and distinct. And the ones that were in the unburned area looked kind of blurry. And I realized that one of the reasons why tattoos have the illusion of fading over time. Many people think it's because the ink is breaking down or the ink's migrating or or getting smeary under the skin. But after seeing a bunch of burn patients with tattoos, I realized that's completely incorrect. And what we see when tattoos appear to be fading is oftentimes what's happening is the surface epithelium, the top layer of your skin, is becoming uh, irregular in appearance. It it gets a texture. An example of this is if if you see a child's forehead, it's shiny like a mirror. You can almost see a reflection in a a young child's skin because it's so smooth and homogeneous, and light reflects off it uniformly. Whereas if you look at the skin of somebody who's older, you realize it looks kind of dull. It doesn't reflect light quite as well. And so what's happening is as light passes through the epithelium, as our skin ages, it causes a scattering effect. And that scattering causes the ink to essentially color shift. It doesn't quite look like the same color that it was when you put it in years earlier. And it also makes it look blurry and less distinct. And I thought that was really, really interesting.
2: Yeah. I've seen people older people with tattoos and they are very blurry. And I wondered why that happened. So that's interesting.
3: Yeah. And so most people get that wrong. So if you if you talk to a lot of tattoo artists or, or people that are aficionados, aficionados in that space, they really kind of don't understand that. And and so unless you see somebody that's had aggressive dermabrasion or like falling off their motorcycle onto their tattoo, or like my cases I've seen with people who were burned, um, you wouldn't really appreciate what's happening under the skin. And so that leads into a, another topic is, is one of the things that people have tried to do is to remove tattoos more easily with less cost. You know, I mean, let's face it, laserics are expensive. There's a barrier to entry. And so there's a number of companies that came into the market that basically have topical creams and salves and unguents and acids and all kinds of things that they purport to remove tattoos. And if you look at their sort of befores and afters, you never really get to see an after where the tattoo's gone. You get to see, hey, here's what it looks like after only a couple of treatments. And you realize that, wow, look at that. The tattoo looks blurry. It looks a little bit faded. You know, maybe there's something to these tattoo creams that they're putting on the skin. But I realize it's actually sort of a trick with mirrors that Essentially, what they're doing is they're creating texture and inflammation on the surface of the skin, and, and these uh, topicals don't get anywhere near the tattoo to remove them. Uh, but what they're doing is creating that texture and that irregularity of the skin surface, and light scatters, and it sort of gives the illusion that the tattoo's fading, but it's never going to really go away. So I learned a long time ago that a lot of the tattoo removal creams were just sort of junk science, and if you look at the ingredients. A lot of them have tons of plant materials in there. And many of the plant materials, you know, guess what, can cause contact dermatitis. It's like sort of like a weak form of poison ivy on your skin. And they put so many different things in there that everyone's going to have at least some skin irritation, at least one or more of those things. And that little bit of inflammation that occurs over the surface of the skin gives the illusion of fading. Well, a couple of
0: questions here. Um, Supplementing with hemp CBD products is one of the best things you can do for your overall wellness or to improve conditions like chronic pain, sleep issues, anxiety or depression, or other conditions related to inflammation. Feel Good Hemp offers high-quality CBD oil products alongside a free platform of proven self-help and self-healing techniques, all to help you feel good naturally. They're offering our listeners a very generous 33% off their first purchase. Use the coupon code genius 33 at checkout, and you'll save 33%. Visit feelgoodhemp.org to shop now and access their free empowerment platform.
2: What's it like to take a tattoo off someone that's young versus old? Like what makes it more difficult, you know, different people that have more melanin in their skin, how does that affect it? Like what are some of the factors you noticed?
3: Yeah. So that's that's a really big topic, actually. So, well, the problem in removing tattoos is there's a lot of variables, some of which are just frankly unknown to the technician who's trying to affect tattoo removal. Interestingly enough, tattoo machines are pretty precise at how deep they put the ink under the skin. It's typically less than two meters. So you may only be 1,500 microns in the skin when you're treating a professional tattoo. But what you sometimes can't see is the density of the ink. So uh, when tattoo artists will place a tattoo, sometimes they'll stretch the skin as they tattoo because as they release the skin, the recoil of the skin creates this appearance of density. And, And sometimes what we see with younger, less experienced tattoo artists, their technique maybe isn't up to speed, and so they pack in a lot more ink. Sometimes to try to get the appearance that they're looking for. When I see a tattoo that's dark colored, I don't know if it how much ink is in there. And sometimes we have to laser people a couple of times. Even we get rid of half the tattoo ink, it may not even start to look like it's fading, because there's so much ink there. So, so the quantity of ink that's under the skin is clearly one of the factors. The other thing is the absorption of light. So the way we remove a tattoo is we pick essentially a wavelength of laser light that's highly absorbed into the color we're trying to treat. So for example, if I'm treating some autumn color like a a red or a brown, maybe a, a darker yellow, I might need a wavelength of light that's essentially in the in the green spectrum of and it's actually a visible light wavelength and that tends to absorb fairly well whereas if I'm chasing after a blue or a purple or you know a color more icy colors sometimes you don't really get a lot of absorption with the other wavelengths and you have to choose a different wavelength and not all lasers are are made the same some lasers have a couple of wavelengths some have 3 or even 4 wavelengths. And so selecting the right wavelength to go after the ink that you're chasing is another part of the equation. And then yet another thing is the immune system, because ultimately what we're doing, as I mentioned to you, when you place a tattoo, the ink is ultimately becoming entrapped inside cells. When I want to get rid of a tattoo, I can't simply destroy the ink. It doesn't just chemically go away. What I'm doing is adding enough energy that's absorbed by the ink that essentially fractures it like a shockwave and breaks the cell apart that's been holding on to it. And if you do that right with the, the correct wavelengths and the right pulse durations, you can do that with as little injury to the skin around it as possible. So we try to really select the pigment we're after but once that ink is exposed back into the extracellular space guess what it's just like you got a tattoo the first time and your immune system isn't really 100 efficient at gobbling up every last little bit of spilled over ink and unfortunately while some of it gets carried away by the immune system a lot of the ink just gets re-encapsulated and stays in place and that's why there's not really a one-size-fits-all get one treatment with a laser and all your ink goes away. The lasers have become increasingly more sophisticated and more efficient at what they do, but oftentimes the bottleneck that we face is the patient's immune system. So if you have a young patient, they tend to have a more robust immune system, but sometimes when you have older patients, especially if they're immunocompromised, that could potentially interfere with the removal of tattoos. We have patients that come in sometimes they're on steroids because they, Uh, have medical conditions like lupus or they might even be on antibodies to treat cancers and we have to take that into consideration when we treat them. One of the most surprising things I learned, one of the things that can interfere with tattoo removal almost more than anything is cigarette smoking. And there was a great paper that came out within the last, I don't know, five or 10 years where they did a linear regression analysis on all kinds of different features. Like you say, how old is the person? How old is the tattoo? What color is it? How long have they had it? And one of the things that stood out the strongest as predicting failure to remove a tattoo within 10 sessions was whether or not the person smoked cigarettes.
2: Why does that affect it so much? What does that do?
3: Yeah. Well, you know, cigarette smoking actually is a vasoconstrictor. So the little small blood vessels will constrict immediately after you smoke cigarettes, but it also can interfere with your immune system, the ability of white blood cells to migrate. And it even has a play in potential potentially impairing wound healing. And plastic surgeons have known this for a really long time. So if you decide you want to go see a plastic surgeon and get a cosmetic procedure, you know, a surgical facelift, a breast augmentation, whatever it is, and you smoke, a lot of plastic surgeons will just turn you away because they know there's a chance that the work that they do will potentially be harmed by cigarette smoking. It may delay healing. It may cause dehiscence, you know, where a wound actually breaks down and needs a revision. So if it's not a life or death surgery that you need. If it's a cosmetic procedure, there are plenty of plastic surgeons to say, hey, you know what? Get on a smoking cessation plan and, and come see me in a few months when you stop smoking. So we've known that cigarette smoking can interfere with wound healing for a long time. But now that is knowledge that we have in the laser tattoo removal, that the immunologic mechanism that removes tattoos, in fact, can be impaired by cigarette smoking
2: yeah that's that's very unusual. What happens again in an older person when you're trying to remove their tattoo? They have a blurry you know faded color shifted tattoo. Is it easier or harder?
3: Well, you know, the wound recovery sometimes can be more difficult uh, in removing tattoos in older patients. One of the things that happens as we age, as our skin ages, it becomes thinner. And everyone's seen, you know, grandma's got thin skin. She just bumps up against something and then has a gigantic purple blue bruise and the skin sloughs off. Part of what our skin surface is made of these Back and forth, we call them invaginations, but basically these dermal papilla where you have these mountains of dermis that rise and fall under the skin and the dermal epidermal junction, the amount of surface area between the top layer of our skin and the middle layer of our skin is actually larger than the surface of our skin altogether. So you have all these back and forth little lumps and mountains that increases the communication between the top layer and the middle layer, which is the dermis. And what happens as we get older is those peaks and valleys in our skin, those that dermal epidermal junction, it starts to wear thin and the thickness of our dermis starts to thin as well. And so uh, it's easier to wound somebody that has older skin and it's much harder for them to recover afterwards. And so oftentimes if we have an older patient, you know, we we may have to dial down the energy, try to be a little bit more careful so we, we don't cause secondary injuries from the laser. And I'll tell you, we've had a huge range of patients. I think our oldest patient we treated at my clinic was 88 years old. And she actually came in, she was a survivor of the Holocaust and she had a serial number tattooed on her wrist. And at almost the age of 90, she just decided that she didn't want to have it anymore. She didn't want to die with that serial number on her arm. And so we treated her for that. And of course, we had to do that very gingerly so as, as not to cause injury or prolonged downtime.
2: So in between sessions of the laser, the laser, it sounds like it's breaking up some of the cells and then what the macrophages are coming and then doing their job and reabsorbing those cells and clearing out the uh, the ink that was associated with that cell. Is that how it works?
3: Yeah. So there's actually four phases of wound healing. And it might make sense just to briefly review those. So so if you got a wound, let's just say a normal wound, like you cut yourself with a knife, you know, the first thing that happens is obviously you start bleeding and you have this slice in your skin. So the first phase of wound healing is called hemostasis. That's bleeding control. And we don't typically cause a lot of bleeding when we do laser tattoo removal. This is mostly a non-ablative treatment, which means we're we're trying not to tear up the skin. But sometimes when we use the, the green lights, the 532 nanometer wavelength, that's really, really close to the absorption spectrum of hemoglobin. So sometimes when we're treating the browns and reds and, and yellows and those sort of colors, we do actually injure some blood vessels. And so you can get little pinpoint bleeding and, and broken capillaries when we treat certain colors. And during that first phase of wound healing, that's when platelets come in and try to patch up the holes. And then ultimately you activate the clotting cascade and you deposit thrombin, which stops the bleeding. And that all happens very quickly over the course of just a few minutes. And then that bleeding is, is ultimately those blood vessels have to be repaired later. But the second phase of wound healing, the one that happens you know, within hours to weeks and may even persist for a month or more is the inflammatory phase. And what happens then is you have, if you look at it under a microscope, you have zillions of white blood cells, typically neutrophils that come in. And and neutrophils are sort of the frontline army. They're not really specific to a particular thing. They just come when called to, hey, there's some injury, there's inflammation. You know, we need to mop up all the dead cells and ink and whatever the heck else could be in the way. And, and as they start encountering things that don't belong there, they can then ultimately send signals that call in more specialized cells. But that second flip phase of wound healing starts pretty quickly, whether it's tattoo or falling off your bicycle and it it can last for days, weeks, or, or even months, depending on the size of the wound. And as the inflammatory phase starts to die down, or even before it's finished, you start to have a proliferative phase. And the proliferative phase is where new collagen is created. So cells called fibroblasts come in, and specialized cells called myofibroblasts also are recruited, and they help to reduce the size of the wound and lay in new collagen, which is the connective tissue that gives our skin strength. And oftentimes in some patients that can be overly robust and that's where scars come from. So scars can develop during proliferative phase. And so some patients are are more predisposed to developing scars or keloids than others. And then ultimately the final phase of wound healing is you have remodeling, where although it looks you know, sort of heaped up and inflamed and not like your normal tissue over many months actually as long as six months to a year gradually that new collagen that's been de- deposited remodels and eventually finds its way to it, its finished state so you know when i see people in the emergency room they have a big wound somewhere that i put sutures in they're really they're always really worried about a scar and i tell them you know you really won't know what this thing's going to look like in the long run for up to six months or more, because that's literally how long uh, wound healing takes.
2: What kind of wounds take six months, or does it always take that long? It's just unseen. Does a wound close and everyone thinks, oh, it's all done, but stuff's still going on?
3: That's exactly right. And that's one of the things that we learned in this space is that when, when we first got into laser tattoo removal more than 15 years ago, laser companies you know, were selling lasers and they were shipping them with protocols that they thought were reasonable based on the best evidence they had. And, and in our first lasers, we were told that you, know, you can laser people every four weeks. But as I started to learn more and more about this topic... I started to read immunohistochemistry articles where people actually did biopsies of not just healing wounds, but also healing tattoos. And what you'll find is the surface of the skin may look 100% healed. And so if somebody goes and gets a tattoo, for example, you know the tattoo artist might mistakenly think that, hey, my, my tattoo heals up in as little as a few days, or it's healed up within a couple of weeks, because on the surface of the skin, everything looks fine. But if you were to do a biopsy, you would find that there's still this inflammatory maelstrom of cells that are in there. All those neutrophils are still doing their work, you know, cleaning up and and the skin is still remodeling. It actually takes quite a long time. And since the removal of tattoo ink is immunologic, um, the laser is just the part that creates the conflict under the skin. And then the immune system goes to work. And we realized that when we were lasering people at intervals of only four weeks, we actually weren't giving them adequate time uh, to recover. And and so we did some in-house experiments. So what happens if we wait six weeks? What happens if we wait eight weeks? What if we wait 12 weeks? And it turns out that um, slowly, imperceptibly, little by little, day by day, tattooing keeps dropping out and disappearing as you keep waiting between sessions. And so in fact, uh, studies that have looked at this have suggested that if your goal is to remove a tattoo in the fewest number of sessions, then you want to have the longest period of time between. It really would be no big deal to wait eight weeks, 12 weeks, or even longer. It doesn't hurt you to wait longer if you want to do it in fewer sessions. Many of our clients, though, tend to try to egg us on to go faster than we should. Um, And, you know, a case in point, we had an unfortunate young fellow that was uh, in the United States, uh, illegally, and he was from Honduras, and he was covered with all kinds of tattoos that I think he had gotten in the United States that may have gang affiliations, and uh, and, and he felt like he was pretty safe in the U.S., but he was facing deportation hearings, and they were going to send him back to Tegucigalpa in Honduras. And those tattoos could get him a lot of trouble there. He, he literally told me, they're going to kill me if they see these tattoos. Please do anything you can to get them off. I don't care if you scar me or make my skin bleed. Just you got to get these Hello? tattoos off as fast as possible. And so you'll see that one of the sort of moral hazards we have in this space is we want to keep our customers and we want to make sure that they have the best experience, the least number of sessions. But people are impatient and sometimes they think getting more sessions more frequently means is they're gonna get the tattoo move faster. And we always had to run that risk that somebody would leave us and go to a a competitor who is just willing to give them what they want, which is more laser, more laser, more laser. And what they really just needed is that quiescent time to recover and they would get better results in the long run.
2: What do you do if um, someone secretly goes to another place and has another session done and they come back to you, and you're like, "Huh, that's odd. It's it's responding as if we've done another session, or we haven't. How do you protect yourself from them complaining later that you scarred them and when you didn't?"
3: Yeah, well, so a couple of things is is one is that when when people overdo it, um, what tends to happen is that they're. Um, Their wound healing, while a lot of it is occult and hiding under the skin, when they really truly overdo it, they're getting multiple sessions in relatively short periods of time, they actually have apparent lack of recovery. Um, when we were still treating people four weeks apart, folks would come in and they would actually have scabs or blisters. And those aren't things that we want. We really want to protect the epithelium. And so folks are going out there and they're just going overboard and doing all kinds of things. They tend to come in with, and their skin really shows it. they look chewed up to us. And particularly if they're doing some of the shorter wavelengths, which are tough on the skin, they'll come back with pinpoint bleeding and little broken blood vessels. And, And so we know that they were potentially up to something. I don't think that happens to us very often because, you know, we always were really good with our customer service and we made it clear to our clients that if they were in a rush, this wasn't the place for them, that you really have to be patient with what we're doing and in trust that you need this time in between. But I don't doubt we lost some customers to people that were inappropriately in a hurry.
2: And what about, again, if you have young customers, but you know some have much darker skin or different types of skin, uh, how sure. does that affect the laser?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So instead of talking about colors, sometimes it's better to talk about chromophores. And a color, obviously, is, is something you can see with your naked eye, but a chromophore is uh, something that absorbs a specific wavelength and, and while many of those things have colors um, some of the laser lights we use actually are infrared and they may interact with things that you really can't see with the naked eye so for example if we're using a co2 laser an erbium laser in cosmetic medicine we're interacting with water so there is no color there it's a, a chromophore that we interact with our problem that we have is magnified by people who have competing chromophores. And and the most obvious of those is melanin, as you mentioned. So melanin is the thing that gives our skin color. And so for me, the ideal candidate is somebody with really pale skin and a very dark tattoo. That's easy. The background skin has got almost no melanin or pigment in it at all, but the tattoo you're treating is clearly uh, grossly a different color than the skin around it. And and that makes it pretty simple. So we can target that pigmented in the tattoo and really not have a lot of risk that we're going to hit any of the skin around it. In fact, um, I'm fairly light complected. If, If you ran a laser over my skin, particularly our infrared wavelength, which is our workhorse we use to get out black and dark colors. I barely feel anything. It it might tap on a couple of my hair shafts, but I really don't feel any pain or any impact in my skin. But if you have somebody who has darker skin types, like a Mediterranean skin type or African American or darker, in fact, I think we had one patient from Cameroon, extremely dark skin, which made it a challenge is pigment will actually interact with the laser. And the shorter the wavelength, the more interaction it has. Because if you think about it, we have pigment in our skin to protect us from ultraviolet radiation. So ultraviolet light starts at wavelengths of 400 nanometers and then goes shorter from there. And longer wavelengths than 400 starts to fall into visible light. And you continue to see light up you know, into the 850, 900 nanometers or so. But as you get closer and closer, your wavelengths that you need to treat tattoo ink gets shorter and shorter and you get closer and closer towards that ultraviolet side, you're going to have more and more impact on the background melanin. So the trick that we have there is to try to balance the amount of energy that we're delivering so that there's still thermal relaxation so that the melanocytes don't get destroyed, that we're trying to target the tattoo ink more selectively. And, And one of the interesting tricks that we have to do has to do with the amount of time the laser light is on. So back in the day, 30 years ago, lasers, cosmetic lasers were still somewhat in their infancy. The amount of time that a pulse of energy was on was fairly long. You could measure it in milliseconds and thousandths of a second, and that sounds pretty short. But a 1,000th of a second is still longer than the amount of time it takes to destroy melanocytes. So you really could cause a lot of damage. And the spillover heat from the tattoo would then damage non-tattooed cells around it. And, and so it was very difficult to do a treatment with long pulse durations. And as lasers got better, you know, they moved from the milliseconds to the microseconds, which is a millionth of a second, which, believe it or not, is still too long for our purposes. And then they moved into the nanoseconds. And nanoseconds is we're talking billionths of a second. So, so our lasers were operating at six billionths of a second. And that allowed us to really deliver a good treatment without causing a lot of background injury. However, we're now, Removery, the company I'm working with now, is partnered with a company called Candela. And they actually have delivered to us a picosecond laser. A picosecond is a Trillionth of a second. So, if you can imagine that when you press the foot pedal and that laser delivers a pulse of energy, you can measure the amount of time that that pulse is active in the trillionths of a second. It's just mind bogglingly fast pulses. And when you deliver pulses that fast, there's really not a lot of time for heat to spill over into the surrounding tissue. So, what you end up having is something more akin to a shock wave than cooking something in the oven. And so, the shorter and shorter we get these laser pulses, the less spillover heat there is and the less injury we have, especially for patients uh, with colored skin. And even beyond picoseconds, we're looking ahead to the next thing, which is femtoseconds, which is a quadrillionth Of a second in fact i visited some laser manufacturing companies in lithuania this past summer to take a look at some of these new femtosecond generators so the topic of tattoo removal may seem a little bit banal but actually the technology that goes behind removing tattoos and how the skin responds is actually truly fascinating
2: well can it be applied to other skin problems to assist with wound healing if you have an open cut or melanoma for skin tags or moles or raspberries, strawberries, any of them. It sounds oh, like sure. if you get good enough at this, you might be able to cross over into you know other medical laser applications.
3: Well, I did actually. I was the medical director for a medical laser company for a number of years, and, and we worked on exactly some of those technologies you were talking about. So, so tattoo removal is just one narrow scope of laser medicine. We use lasers in a, a variety of ways and not just cosmetics. So you can use uh, carbon dioxide lasers, for example, as cutting lasers. Those, those work real well to cut off skin tags and do surgical laser procedures. And there's erbium lasers, which you can use uh, for skin resurfacing. Vascular lasers are, are quite interesting. Vascular lasers be used to treat capillary telangiectasias and hemangiomas. You can treat uh, port wine stains. So, you know, birthmarks, you see children with a a big red birthmark oftentimes will use pulse dye lasers to remove those. They use lasers to vaporize tissue like warts. And and you can also use it in all kinds of non-ablative ways to, as you mentioned, stimulate wound healing and, and particularly to generate new collagen production. So one of the things that the cosmetic space is really interested in is how do you, deal with the problem of fine lines and wrinkles you know what do you do with that it's, you know you get these little imperfections in the skin and obviously if we could stimulate more collagen production you could essentially eliminate some of those little fine lines and wrinkles and so there's a number of ways you can do that you can do not just lasers but you can do radio frequency devices and cavitation ultrasounds there's all all kinds of interesting technologies in that cosmetic space
2: yeah no that's very really interesting um... If someone has a scar or if they've done self harm or cut themselves, you know, if there's any applications yet for lasers to fix that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. There's a number of things that are people doing for scar revision. You know, of course the old way is, you know, you get a scalpel and you cut them out and sew them back together again. And then to prevent them from scarring a second time, you might inject them with Kenalog, which is a steroid to damp down the immune system. Cause you remember the, the third phase of wound healing was proliferation. So you want to kind of turn off that proliferative phase, but completely excising a scar, you know, and hoping the next one that comes back isn't as bad is not as convenient as potentially doing non-invasive techniques technologies like lasers. So you can resurface those scars with CO2 or erbium lasers. You can actually use radio frequency. So, you know, there was a company at one point, I forget their name, but they were inserting tiny little wires into the scar and using radio frequency to essentially cook or ablate the scar from the inside. So yeah, there are a lot of applications for wound and, and scar remodeling. Well
2: very good. I mean it seems like you are really you're interested in this stuff and uh, we could talk about it for a long time. We're Just about out of time. What's the best way for people to find out more about, you know, the laser removal, the tattoo removal with recovery and uh, your other exploits? Where can they go?
3: It's funny. I I wish I could remember the URL off the top of my head, but TED Talk actually did a really great animated sort of cartoon of how tattoo removal works and, and I love it and I, I share it with people you know when they ask me about this but it does a really good job of taking all, all these sort of complicated ideas and, and distilling it down into something simple I would say you know go talk to your doctor but the reality is a lot of physicians are actually not trained in laser medicine so it's it's kind of a hodgepodge of places you can get information out there but many of the larger cities will have medical spas or or dedicated clinics for certain laser procedures and that's always a good place to get information.
2: Well, very good. Thomas, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. and It's been very interesting to hear from you.
3: Well, thank you so much. Yeah, it's, a, it's a fascinating topic. I'll, I'll never run out of things to study.
2: Remember, before
0: you go, supplementing with hemp CBD products is one of the best things you can do for your well-being. Get your CBD from a company that cares and offers you holistic support in your healing or wellness journey. Feel Good Hemp is giving our listeners 33% off their first purchase. You can use coupon code Genius 33 at checkout to save 33% site-wide. Visit feelgoodhemp.org to shop now and access their free empowerment platform.
1: You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else?